Filthy Opcast for September 10th, 2018. Featuring poet Gregory Crosby leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. I am your host and MC once again, Jason Koo. The Brooklyn Poets Yop is a monthly poetry workshop and open mic held at 61 Local in Cobble Hill. That's at 61 Bergen Street off Smith Street near the Bergen Street FG stop. For more information and to sign up for the op, go to brooklynpoets.org. This month's formidable open mic lineup featured Jose A. Lopez, Dan Varley, Amy Palin, Dora Brallo, Maha Abdelazim, Bonnie Belay, Harvey Suss, Bella Pori, Laura Murphy, Sarah Lynn Rogers, Creighton Blinn, Keith Woodrow, Christian Perfus, Molly Watson, Nikki Ritchie, Bill Livingston, Emily Blair, Evan Garrett, Evan W. Saunders, and former Yopper of the Year and Poem of the Year winner, Arthur Russell. So, let's get right to it. I'm excited to hear this, as I'm sure you are. The Broken Poet Yop Open Mic for September. Enjoy. Welcome to the Broken Poets Yop Open Mic. How's everyone doing? I love it. Don't even have to get people excited. You were not deterred by the rain. Those of you in the workshop, you're still here. That's amazing. Those that are coming for the open mic, you're incredible. You also didn't care about the rain or Jewish holidays. <laughs> so, big ups to you. Uh, if you don't know me, I am Jason Koo. If you're sitting on the floor, we do have a chair up here next to Arthur. He's a very great man. He helps a lot of people, so uh, don't be afraid of him. Uh, he's also a lawyer. If you need legal help, you could just ask him for that while you sit next to him. Are there any other chairs next to anyone? No? Okay. Well, I guess it's... Now you got to sit. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm Jason Koo, Executive Director of Brooklyn Poets. Uh, a couple of announcements before we begin. If you don't know what's happening this weekend, uh, you should take a, <laughs> take a look around the internet or just uh, go to Brooklyn Heights or Borough Hall because the Brooklyn Book Festival is this Sunday. Some of you may know that. In fact, the bookend event started... Today, uh, and you guys are also awesome for coming here instead of the party with free drinks that they offer. I probably shouldn't even told you that, but uh, <laughs> they do <laughs> they do have this kickoff party every year. With apparently the drinks run out though pretty quickly. So uh, and there's like a thousand. There's not a thousand, but there's a lot of people. Uh, but thank you for coming here. Uh, we do have a reading for the first time in the official lineup. I had to really pull some strings. Uh, I had to work my magic behind the scenes. <laughs> Really, it was just a lot of emailing. I'm trying to make it sound fancier than it is. But uh, <laughs> if you are not brunching or asleep at 11 a.m. this Sunday, we have a reading as part of the festival lineup at the Brooklyn Historical Society. It's in the library in the second floor. Super nice space. Uh, Marwa Halal is reading there. As a lot of you remember her from, uh, was it last, was last month, right? She led the Yup. And Javier Zamora, who used to live in Brooklyn, now lives in Boston, will be coming back to read for us. And Daniel Tobin, who also lives in Boston and was born in Brooklyn, will be reading all together. So it's a, it's a Brooklyn love fest, as it should be for Brooklyn Book Festival. That is free. Go to the second floor, 11 o'clock to 11.50. 
Uh, and if you want to buy some t-shirts, we will be selling that shit all day. It's like crack at the Brooklyn Book Festival. I mean, the tourists come through. They're like, this shit says Brooklyn on it. I'm, <laughs> I'm buying it. So you better come around soon. We are restocking pretty much everything. Um, so we should have your size. We should have the shirts that you want. A lot of you have been... One of the Audrey Lord shirt, it's been sold out for months, got sold out again. Well, we'll have more on Sunday for probably like three hours. So you should come by, <laughs> come by fairly early in the morning. Uh, we'll have them 20% off. Um, so that's it by the Brooklyn Book Festival. Uh, the open mic tonight, a few ground rules if you don't know what happens. Uh, everyone that comes up here reads one poem of three minutes max. We ask that you adhere to your time just so that as many poets can come up here as possible. There are some people that were not as fortunate as those of you who signed up like at 9.45 after the last one or something like that. The lineup fills in like a week. So uh, if you were not on the reserve list, you're probably on the uh, open list or you're on the wait list. So if you are reading, please keep to your time so those people can have a chance to come up here. We usually get to at least two or three people on the wait list every month. Uh, we record the open mic as a podcast called the Yopcast, which I noticed that uh, one person, Megan Washington, subscribed to the podcast and wrote, uh, gave it five stars. So let's give a big round of applause for Megan Washington, everyone. She's not, she's not here tonight, but uh, I was so touched after I've been bitching about it for months, and she was the first one to subscribe to it on iTunes and and give us five stars. So maybe you could be the second. <laughs> and if you do that, I will, sh I will give you a shout out on the next podcast. It will just, we'll just keep doing it. And we'll just keep paying. Pretty soon the whole podcast will be sh me shouting out people that have given us five stars. And it'll be like a super meta poetry podcast. <laughs> um, so yeah, if you are reading, you're going to be recorded. If you don't want to be in the recording, just need to tell me and I can take you off. Uh, we also vote for Poem of the Month every month by audience vote, and I'll give you my number in a second to do that. We only have two spots left uh, for the Poem of the Year Smackdown. It's coming up in December. The December Yop will be the Poem of the Year Smackdown for all the marbles. It's very exciting. We have a lot of winners of Poem of the Year in the room, including Arthur. Uh, who else won Poem of the Year before? <laughs> Julia Knobloch, not here. Sure. Oh, you're here. Oh, you're just not reading because you have the sniffles. Oh, but yeah. Is it Shara? I thought it was Shara. I feel like this happens to me a lot. Well, Shara won last year. Is your name Arthur? Is that how, that's how you pronounce it? <laughs> just making sure. Arthur? I bet you felt good about that. What circumstances made you look that up, is, is my question. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't think so. Yeah. Is it really? My parents wanted me to name me James. Imagine how different my life would be if I was called James. Do you know how many poets are named James? A lot. A lot. <laughs> you know how many are named Jason? Very few. I can, I can count them on one hand, actually. So, congrats to me. Anyway, it's not as good as Arthur. How did we get on this tangent? Jesus Christ. Uh, poem of the Year Smackdown coming in December. Tonight's vote and October's vote and November's vote. All of those winners will go into that Smackdown, into the cauldron of the Smackdown. That's like some kind of mixed metaphor there. But uh, get excited. So, if you win tonight, win in November or win in October, you will be in that contest. So we vote by audience vote. The number is 718-374-1953.
I will repeat this ad nauseum, 718-374-1953. You just vote once, wait till the end to vote. Just give me the poet's name. That's probably the easiest way. Then if you say the title, I might not remember. Okay. Is that it? I think that's it, right? Why? <laughs> Guess he's four. <laughs> I can take him. Ooh, we'll try. Uh, everyone keep to your time or else Arthur's going to throw you down the stairs. Um, before we start the open mic proper... <laughs> That's true. He does do all the heavy lifting, and he also adjusts the mic, so, you know. Anyway, keep to your time. Our first reader, not on the open mic list, is our professor tonight. Give it up for Gregory Crosby. Um, I was reading a poet's manuscript, a friend of mine, Joe Pan. If you're not familiar with Joe Pan and Brooklyn Arts Press, you should be. And Joe had this throwaway in, the, in just like the midst of like this very long, dense sort of prose poem. And it was this thing called the Palme d'Or Pantoum. <laughs> Palme d'Or, of course, being the grand prize they give out at the Cannes Film Festival. And I read that and I thought, that should exist. There should be an actual Palme d'Or Pantoum. So this is one of those forms that uh, enjoys recurrence. This is the Palme d'Or Pantoum for Joe Pan. <laughs> we only have eyes, have eyes for you. The lights go down so we can see the room. The cameras, they grew quiet over time so the silence of sound plus vision could thrive. The lights go down so we can see the room. The director's chair was found everywhere, so a silence of sound plus vision could thrive in those thousand drive-ins, those million minds. The director's chair is found everywhere, amidst dreams discarded on cutting room floors, in a million cinemas, a billion minds, in the distance from a pixel to an eye. Amidst dreams discarded killing room floors, the cameras, so quiet, so much time, in that distance from a pixel to an eye, we have only eyes, our distance from you. Yeah. And uh, this is just a sonnet, and then I'll get off, because I don't want to be thrown down the stairs. And uh, this is called... Last thoughts at the hospice of the valley. Where shall we go now, together, parted, forever moving through forevers, alone, by your side? Or are you by mine? My mind divides and twines around the void of you who brought me out of the void. My eyes swim, drowning and waving all at once. My voice comes from around some corner I've never turned. In your house, choked with time and dust, going through your things like a thief, grief is the thief that steals and never leaves. I wonder at the vault inside my chest that no combination nor key can open. Who do I carry now who once carried me? What dream at the end were we dreaming? Thanks.
tweet that line about grief. <laughs> We're all stealing that line now, Gregory. Yeah, it's gone, baby. Grief is the thief that steals but never leaves? Is that what it was? Grief is the thief that never leaves. He's not even listening. <laughs> I'm sorry, my Grief is the thief that steals but never leaves. Is that what you said? Yeah, that's golden. All right. We are <laughs> we are live tweeting. If you want to not pay attention to the open mic, or just look at your phone instead. That's some people do. Uh, is this first name? Is it Lopez here? Is that what it says? Okay. Our first reader off the open mic list is Jose A. Lopez. Give it up for Jose. This is based off a Fat Joe song from like 2005. <laughs> what is love? Is love when you take that fine piece from down the block and show her a good time? Ignoring her man's name tatted on her chest. You hear the knock on her door and scramble for your drawers before he draws his. I know damn well there's a dude in there. Escape through the fire exit. You forgot your phone. So for sure he know you coming back. I ain't a player, but what if love is the licks, the kisses a mama cat, smothers her kin and newborn, the joy of creation, yourself reflected in eyes closed. What color are your eyes in sleep, wondering the future and possibility this little vessel holds, scrambling your brain for names. What if love is when I stare at you sleeping, thoughts running, wondering, it's funny how much I want to know about you. I'm slipping, you catch me suddenly staring, creep, you see, as you punch me in the chaps, collapsing my lungs, taking my breath away. Damn, you're tough. Still, you ask if I prefer my eggs scrambled or sunny side up. What if love is the future? Midnight, New York City night, laundry at a broken down laundromat, cups of coffee not strong enough, bright halogen lights, loud infomercial on that mounted Vizio on the wall from 1984, folding clothes with you. Yo, we call that a cobija in Spanish, that giant blanket that takes two to put away, a loud card blasting, a song I love passes by. I know you're about to start dancing and singing. I do a little jig and laugh. You turn, smile, and say, it's funny how much I know about you. Maybe love is knowing that I don't got to spend time wondering. We won't be playing these 21 questions, ride or die. Bonnie and Clyde, words, these don't lie. All right, that's yeah. it. Thank you. All right, thank you, Jose. It's your first time here, right? Yeah. All right, congrats. Our next poet debuted last month, I believe. It was very good. Everyone loved him. Give it up for Dan Varley. So two minutes ago, I just subscribed. You're welcome. <laughs> also today, super stoked. Try to be stoked every day, but super stoked today because I got... Uh, published in Colorado Review for Review of Poetry, for Benjamin Perkles, um, for The Love of Endings. So check it out. It's on my Facebook right now, Dan Varley. To celebrate being super stoked, I'm going to uh, read a poem about um, being stoked. Uh, <laughs> I'll stop. Um, it's <laughs> I wrote a poem about Point Break because I wanted to, because I love that <laughs> movie. <laughs> it sounds like I'm joking around, but seriously, it's, it's actually kind of serious poem. Uh, it's called Vaya con Dios. Uh, if you want the ultimate, you've got to pay the ultimate price. One. I actually do this stuff. Um, one. It's getting dark. 
It's getting dark, too dark to surf, so the guys flood the beach from their Broncos and their Cherokees when Bodie makes a run for it, and Johnny takes off along the shore, breaking picks the size of Easter Island statues, and finally Bodie in the ocean, and, and, um, and finally catches Bodie in the ocean with a vicious tackle. The two men emerge, wet hair slicked back on the verge of some violence, till Bodie lets us in. It's Johnny Utah, Ohio State Buckeyes All-Conference, number nine, Rolls Bowl against SC. And everyone gets stoked because people realize Johnny Utah is here, and he can surf, and that makes him awesome. But it's a movie, so only so much awesomeness can exist in one place, so you know someone has to die. Two, there's always a chase, and Johnny's after Bodie, who's dressed like, I swear, Ronald Reagan in a tuxedo with white gloves who just robbed a bank with his other fraternal ex-presidents to finance their lifestyle of catching tubes and getting radical. So now the getaway Lincoln is on fire for a couple of seconds and Johnny's cover is blown. He's not a lawyer but an, F but an FBI agent. Bodie, I'm an FBI agent. Though he can definitely still surf. So Ronnie and, and Johnny embark across a backyard dash across the California scene over sheets through houses over fences until Bodie throws a pit bull, a pit bull, in Johnny's face, jumping into a ravine where Johnny lands funny and flares up the old bum knee and can't pursue, though he's carrying, so he takes out his piece with a grimace aqueduct wide. He fires off six bullets to the sky. Three, I was nine, just building the pantheon of masculine gods, and you arrived on the VCR, promising salvation on a surfboard, the possessor of ultimate knowledge, deftly negotiating love and violence just as the lip curled. Lantern-jawed but genial, driven by a code, leaf but muscled, you became my lodestar of, if not what a man was, but at least what was cool. They're brolic men who can jump out of airplanes and surf the sickest breaks together with, before addressing the subtext between. And yeah, I've seen Vin Diesel and Paul Walker redline their engines and Harry and Lloyd riding Asta Crotch and Aspen on a mini bike but no one finds a conflict within them like Johnny and Bodie, football hero, agent, and enlightened bank thief bonded by longboards and longing for a life less entangled. Go 40 years back and someone's writing about Steve McQueen and John Wayne, the informers of a brotherly love. They bestride the narrow world like a colossus. They race motorcycles and ride wild horses. Four. Swayze, I think of you passing through this life. It's not a Sam Wheat, kind-hearted banker roaming the Soho afterlife when you put your ballast training to work as Johnny Castle of the Catskulls. Not even the coolest of the cool, the cooler the double deuce Dalton, our caffeinated captain fixing up jar for those, fixing up bar for those tipping jar and Jasper, delivering roundhouse kicks and bomb mots with a philosophy PhD. No man, it's you, Bodie paddling out to certain death headfirst into the 50-year storm after you begged Johnny for just one more ride. Like you said, cliffs on both sides. All right, thank you, Dan. I got pretty serious. <laughs> Wasn't expecting that. And then Patrick Swayze appeared, which made everything great. Uh, congrats on the Colorado Review. Did you get like a paper notice or was it an email? No. Yeah, in the old days. <laughs> and when I lived in. Yeah, days. didn't I talk about this last month too? First time I ever got published, I had to go to the mail room in my apartment complex, which was also the laundry room. It was a tiny little envelope. 
didn't weigh much. It was like looking for college acceptances. You're trying to figure out if it was good or bad, but you know, it weighs, but it weighed nothing. Just had a little slip in there. See, we're taking this poem. And I was like, I'm awesome. <laughs> in this laundry room, I'm going to publish this poem in this journal, and no one will read it. <laughs> but I was in it. <laughs> that was in 2001. All right, our next reader off the open mic list is Amy Palin. Give it up for Amy. Those summer nights, the sky was low and blue. The crickets called in soft and mellow tones, and I could see the skeleton in you. Your greetings pressed my shoulders in the dew, sent birdsong slipping through our gramophones. Those nights, the summer sky swooped low and blew your skin into my creviced palms. It flew like moth wings, wore the gilding from your bones, and oh, exposed the skeleton in you. As children play appealing peekaboo or garments thin where patches will be sewn, those nights the summer sky sunk low and blue air sought to bury us. But through your cracking ribs, the wildflowers had grown so we could breathe the skeleton in you. And there was nothing else for me to do but revel in the secret I'd been shown those nights. The summer twilight cast in blue, the slow encroaching skeleton in you. Thank you, Amy. First time for you too, right? All right, give another round, another round of applause for Amy Palin, the op debuter. Our next reader, debut last month, I believe. Give it up for Dora Brallo. Uh, so this is a new poem. It's the first time I'm reading in public, so I'm a little nervous. Uh, <laughs> this is called A Beauty, and it employs repetition or recurrence. <laughs> he called me a beauty. When he said it, a young man nursing a beer looked at me across the bar. He called me a beauty in a soft and tender voice as if it was an exquisite secret to hold on to. He called me a beauty, and I never heard so much love contained in so few words. He called me a beauty, and the melancholy devouring me didn't hurt anymore. He topped off my white wine with a smile, and for a few precious hours, there was beauty in a world so devoid of it. Wow. 
right, what's that guy's number? I mean, it was really refreshing. I was hanging out yesterday. I'm going to keep the story short. Uh, one of Anna's Brazilian friends, came, Brazilian friends came over last night, and she was telling us the things that she appreciated the most about America. Uh, and one of them, surprisingly, was uh, how respectful men were to her. And I was just like, this is... I haven't heard a woman say that since, like, I was in high school, probably. You know, it's just like the context of the Me Too movement. I was like, wow. <laughs> Um, I invited her to share that thought on Twitter and uh, <laughs> see how people <laughs> reacted. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it would go well. But uh, but good for her, goddammit. Some men are respectful and some men apparently are amazing. Um, our next reader, I might get this name wrong, so correct me if I'm wrong, is it Maha Abdelazim? All right, Maha Abdelazim. All right, guys, so this poem is about uh, meeting people from different countries and realizing that what's messed up about your country is what's messed up about theirs, and it's really, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can't pronounce his name, but I know more about his childhood, his struggle, his home, than his closest friends in the city could ever understand. I know because I lived it, in a city the same in everything but name, the same sidewalks striped black and white, the same government buildings peeling, planted in dying gardens, too tired to dominate. I know his social life was built on walls built out of money to keep out anyone who didn't make them feel like they all were almost in Europe. I know how locals in his city were hailed as brave disruptors for stealing food they were too rich to eat and rebranding it with red velvet. I can't pronounce his name, but I know what it's like to have thick roots deeply entrenched in rotting soil. Our collective unconscious is beautiful. We never met, but we danced to the same beats, drummed the same beats, stuffed cheese into different types of dough and fry it. But the beats and the poetry and the loud ringing humor all come from the same crippling fear, that we will grow up fighting a system till we're old enough to become it. And we have all built societies designed to leech off the poorest of the poor who built them. Societies that wish they were anywhere else, but the hometown with millions of women and men whose primary living is to serve them. Our collective unconscious has taught us to never see the patterns by convincing us to our core that our case is the only one that has ever been unique. Well done, Maha. Your first time too, right? Give it up for Maha. Another Yelp debuter. I am loving it, all these debuters. Uh, so, to recap the first five, that was Maha Abdel Azim. Is that two words, the last name? Abdel, it's, oh, it's all one. All right, fuck, I shouldn't have tweeted that yet. <laughs> should, have, should have asked you first. Uh, but the second A is capitalized. Yes, okay. Posterity. No, it's not weird at all. I just should have trusted my instincts, goddammit. Uh, before Maha was Dora Bralo, before that was Amy Palin, before that Dan Varley, and our first reader was Jose A. Lopez. Uh, our next reader is a Yop regular. You know her well. Give it up for Bonnie Belay. 
Arthur. Oh. <laughs> Wake up, kid. <laughs> so I brought two poems, but I'm going to read the one that's in process somewhere around the middle. Life slash death. Life melts like sugar in the mouth. We have a strong biological preference for sweets. Honey, maple syrup, molasses. Sugar makes you fat, rots your teeth, makes you age. Mother told me I was fat even when I was thin. Sugar <laughs> warns you against the sour, the bitter. It makes you happy, releases endorphins, helps with pain, leaving me too confused to eat a second chocolate chocolate chip muffin. Death is open, easily achieved. Sean tripped on the stairs, broke his neck. Dave drowned in a boating accident two weeks out of high school. My mother was the only girl who worked in the kitchen who would kill chickens. Against the tenets of the religion she was born into, she requested cremation. My sister-in-law assures me she has the ashes someplace safe. But since she's moved back to the city, she doesn't remember where. All right, Bonnie, thank you. Good as always. Our next reader, another Yop regular. He also hosts his own Mike Hope and Mike, which I'm sure he will tell you about. Give it up for Harvey Sauce. There we go. Okay. I will. Uh, the open mic that I host is called uh, Artful Dodgers Poetry at the Montauk Club. This is the Montauk Club. It's an extraordinary venue which was fashioned in 1891 after a Venetian palazzo. Uh, Arthur's been there. Uh, I believe Jason's been to an event there, uh, and they can confirm that it's a unique venue. It's uh, unique. <laughs> stained glass. Grand piano in the room uh, under a chandelier. So, uh, and we generally afford about five minutes per open micer and have two features uh, each month. The next one is on September 30th when we'll have some of the ladies of the, uh, uh, the poetry brothel, uh, one or two of whom put together the poetry festival on Governor's Island uh, this past summer. Uh, and uh, I invite you to come. You know, you can go to and read or listen to more than one poetry event in a month. <laughs> there is no conflict. I've scheduled it Sundays from 1 to 3, usually the last Sunday of the month, except for November and December. Uh, and I'm going to read for you something that I finished this afternoon, assuming it's finished, and assuming I can actually see it. It's called Artificial Intelligence. You wake one day to find yourself out of a job displaced by a chip from Intel that really does make widgets faster than you can ever hope to. Your severance package, shrunk so small your bank balance can hardly feel it, is approximately the size of a pea in the princess and the pea. Little more than a pat on the back, goodbye and good luck. Beyond widget making, there doesn't seem to be much else that you are good for. You fear that one morning you will reach for your wife to discover her in the throes of passion with a battery-operated device, one boasting an on-off switch, where yours is mostly off. 
how you'll envy such an easy turn on and those smirking machines which are, after all, modeled after us. Later, when she has washed, dressed, and assumed her role as sole support of the household, widget factory human resources administrator, one of the last few humans still employed in that capacity, indeed in any meaningful capacity, beyond teat suckers of the welfare state, you will resort shamefacedly to cautious rummaging through night table dresser drawers, seeking the King Solomon's mind of her secret satisfaction, ignoring Victoria's secrets, gifts from you to the missus, looking for any telltale sign of your replacement. Come join us. All right, thank you, Harvey. How many of you have gone out there? A lot of you have, right? All right, well. well more yeah. <laughs> more than one poetry event. That's just insane. I mean, what would happen? <laughs> Our next reader, uh, I think also maybe debuted last month as well. It's nice to have people back for a second time. Give it up for Bella Pori. Thank you. Stop, stop. Yes, good, good memory, Jason. Very nice. I don't even remember last month. Um, okay, so this is called Exit 106, John Wilk Rest Area. Fast food princess, she's the only thing, the prettiest thing, that anyone will see between Arizona and the promised land. Cheeks still ruddy because our princess has to drive at least 100 miles or so to this place in the direct middle of God's biggest mistake. She used to try to fill one of the two roles a woman has in a place like this, either the fresh-faced girl waiting to be carried away by the first strong biker who happens to know how to shoot pool, or the bored gum snapper sneaking shots, seen it all, knows it all, counting down moments until her shift ends. Instead, she's here because being a fast food princess in the Mojave Desert means she doesn't have to deal with a manager as much. He's back at the big store. The people are usually nice because she's the first and last place to find nourishment, and something about this place on Valley Floor is quiet and forces everyone to speak in hushed voices, walk softly. Not because it's so big they feel dwarfed, though everyone does, including her boyfriend, first time she brought him out here. It's more like the heat and age of the mountains are pressing down on all of them, and it takes more energy than anyone can admit just to move through. That's why she's the princess here, because it should be as hard for you to eat your food as it was for her to serve it. All right, welcome back, Bella. Great job again. Our next reader, I believe, is another Yop debuter. Give it up for Laura Murphy. Yes, I was the person who was so inspired last month that I emailed as soon as I got home. Um, now I'm like, why did I do that? Uh, but I'm going to read my poem, La Flaneuse. Um, a flaneuse is the feminine form of the French word flaneur. And a flaneur is an idle man about town. And um, a flaneuse is a woman who is or behaves like a flaneur. So. At night, the internet is a filibuster, and it keeps me awake. 
I am trying to divide my days into a series of life-affirming activities. Opera in the morning, followed by ecstatic communion with a stationary bike. My ex-whatever is moving to Denver, and I'd follow her, but she'd break my heart anyway, and anyway, I never wanted a domestic skill set. I don't care if I scorch another pan. I'm just going to keep on going. Now, anyone can court fame from anywhere. Before the internet took off, people have been researching it for years. The girl next door has a handsome, haughty face, like a flamenco dancer. She suspects me of my squalor. Personally, I would love to be overcome by a great passion. Manhattan, and it's morning, and I like the way I look. I can feel the humidity settling like gloss on my skin, slicking my limbs and twisting my hair. Broadway is a burst seam, and I swoon across the street. A counterterrorism unit assembles on the corner of 96th. Yesterday, the last bulb in my bathroom went out, and my face in the mirror was dark. The bulb felt as smooth as a bone in my hand. Nobody wants to see a musical about the nihilism of Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> I look past the malevolent shaftway and towards all the best-looking men. The gut is the laboratory of desire, which is why I always eat standing up. In Bryant Park, the buildings are as iridescent as onion shells, and on the train, a man in a khaki hat carries an elaborate bouquet. The car fills with the scent of roses. On the internet, I count all of the lady detectives I have ever loved. When did I begin this arithmetic of other people? The daffodils have gone feral. They're wandering the city like vagrants. Yeah. Well done, Laura. It was good on it was good on two counts. Good poem and great definition of flaneur. <laughs> I mean, try to define that word on the spot. <laughs> I'm sure you all knew what that word meant, right? I love that Julie Hart though nodded. She's like, "Come on, <laughs> don't insult my intelligence." I read Baudelaire. God damn it. Okay, our next reader is uh, Brooklyn Poet Student. She's been coming to the YOP the last few times. Good to see her. Uh, I'm just totally bungling this, but uh, give it up for Sarah Lynn Rogers. I think I'm good. Thanks, Arthur. Uh, okay. This is called Drowning Out a Puja with Nora Jones. Not that I don't care for the low drone of those long horns carried by monks, drums sounded by hooks, trumpet notes racing up invisible stairs, or the crash, 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 crash. Not sure whether this smoke, these high tones, are clearing bad energy after a tragedy or averting one. Sutting said when he built his new house, he needed pujas at each stage of the process, always on auspicious days, of course. Preventing bad luck required a blessing from a virgin under the age of 18. What if you're fresh out of those, I asked. <laughs> we had to put out an ad, he said. Crash, 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 crash. While my neighbors wail, I wash dishes. My ritual is this. 
orange rubber gloves, the hottest water our heater can muster, swathing the kitchen in steam. When I clean, I light incense, which might be sacrilegious, but to me means purposefulness. Above my neighbor's holy cacophony, my aural field is adult contemporary, tickled ivories and cool cat upright bass. In my chamber of steam and smoke, the mind empties, hands complete the task. Not sacred, this cleansing, still essential, small-scale chaos made pure. Thank you. Mid-tweet, not sacred, this cleansing. That's how I feel about my shower. I'm clean that fucking thing. You know, by the way, one of the biggest scams in the, the world has got to be the, uh, the mildew-resistant shower liner. You all know this. I don't know how many of those fucking things I've bought in my life, but they, not a one of them is mildew-resistant. Yes? <laughs> and then they're washable. You put them in the laundry and... That's true. That's a good point. But it doesn't make me feel any better. <laughs> wow, now I'm imagining what it would look like if it weren't mildew-resistant. <laughs> anyway, our next reader is Creighton Blinn. Give it up for Creighton. Hey. Hi. I'm going to read a poem that um, started out at a previous YAP workshop. So. Scorched Earth. It is easy to lose your bearings when the floor disintegrates, unfurling a fog of soot sur stirred up by eager legions gleefully proclaiming our precedents discarded as irrelevant to uncharted terrain battered by ill weather and bereft of guideposts. Once, you could trust assumptions of common ground defined by civility and a shared belief that arrogance is as deadly as violence. Worn sentiments which previously steadied steps but now ring hollow, replaced by fear and decrees counseling a new course. Insult the ignorant, shout down the disagreeable, readily resort to fists rather than appease with dialogue. The self-righteous declare the stakes are too high for fussing over decorum and, frightfully, they might be right. We live in an age of scorched earth, wherein zero sum is the only trusted equation. Why preserve something which no longer has a function? Grind it into dust beneath your boots. You'll be fine, as long as you have your tribe of like-minded pundits sheltering you from the barren wilderness where fools wander in search of truth be told. I no longer recognize this desolate space I inhabit. One by one, I watch the clicks drift by. I could lash a sharp tongue as well as any of them. Trust me. I have sufficient venom for it. Yet as soon as I seem to latch on to any faction, I'm cast aside. Having failed some secret litmus test, I didn't even know applied. So here I am, pondering what words any of us 
have left for anyone. Thank you. Get on Creedence Blad side, man. <laughs> uh, I really enjoyed that. I have sufficient venom for them. I feel like I feel like that. I feel like that every day. God. <laughs> uh, I would share a story, but I'm not going to. Uh, maybe later. Maybe downstairs afterward. Uh, our next reader, I think, is another Yop debuter. Give it up for Keith Woodrow. and I'll be reciting a poem called Public Transportation Three because it is the third poem in a series of five deeply and repeatedly unpublished poems. <laughs> From the front porch, my father points with gnarled fingers into the summer storm at the white-hot witch's finger of light streaking across the heather gray. He tells my brother and me, if we call Jolotl and wait patiently, mere seconds later, inevitably, thunder will reply. So begins our studies in various magics and we'll rebel against them in time. I hate these limbs, this used up, fragile body, anger, boils in the bowels, or is it just the bacterial infection from that last trip to Prague? The CT confirms terminal ileitis, better than it sounds. Entrust the diagnosis to time and wear your gastrointestinal distress like wild green incarnation, and then let it withdraw reborn, unchanged, accepted, like by an alcoholic until someday I grab the wheel and drive the damned bus through Rodan's gaping gate myself, a road trip catabasis to greet the ram-horned afterward, adorned in head-to-toe Givenchy couture, the freaky Tishi years. The need to ease off the pedal never finds me intent on seeing him again, not Tishi, somehow, with utile magic, please. Rejected from the quest, chest first, like an inverted spider, I am lifted up and out, out through the wardrobe's door, the closet, through the ivory gate unmade of elephant tusk and reconstituted powder of the poached rhinoceros, which in the 70s symbolized Bostonian LGBTs for their fearsome appearance, yet gentle demeanor. I have no such demeanor. I have a migraine as if believing there were some pharmacological application for my mind. The dying tidiest gnaws over my yelps to Jupiter this time in the hour-long shower. Send a serrated bolt to break the rippling imitrex immune or at best resistant waves to fry the circuitry like one would a green plantain. Compress these four dimensions into an object viewable from all sides simultaneously, perhaps in shaped into yet another souvenir, a snow globe, a tchotchke, infused with magic and capable of employing none. A diet 
of fewer legumes and greens resolves one thing, a diet of less chocolate and caffeine another, I affect change by protest, by refusal, by radical abstinence. I eat less asshole than I used to, even though when I kiss and reach within one's welcome warmth of flame in flagrante, like into a freshly baked cupcake, I conjure up an unmoderated contentment, thrilling if only for that moment, blessed if only that moment were enough not to swerve into the gates again like what once sprung to satisfy a throbbing tongue. Wow. Thank you. All right, thank you, Keith. Well done, first time. Okay, I'm going to review our last seven readers. That was Keith Woodrow. Before that was Creighton Blinn, Sarah Lynn Rogers, Laura Murphy, Bella Pori, Harvey Sauce, and Bonnie Belay. Try to spell these names as best you can if you don't know them. We have another Yop Day viewer today. Uh, it's definitely the debuters are outnumbering the regulars, so I don't know what's happening. They are taking over. Give it up for Christian. Is it Perfus? Perfus? Yeah. Christian Perfus, everyone. Uh, a little lower would be great. Cool. Uh, before I begin, could I just get from a round of snaps in the audience, how many people are familiar with the multiverse theory? Cool. Um, for those of you who might not be familiar, uh, the multiverse theory posits that our universe, our existence, is just one of many. That in his infinite power and wisdom, God has created not only us in our world, but multiple versions of both. Uh, some might call this a flight of fancy, but I think of it as a coping mechanism. Hmm. Believing that somehow, somewhere, there's a me out there that doesn't feel so fractured. That doesn't walk with the weight of so many what-ifs that still has a you. Scrolling through past pictures of us, I imagine a world preserved prehistoric. I, the single-celled prokaryotic organism, see you from across the ooze, and after a billion or two years of thinking it over, finally muster up the courage to ask if you'd be interested in entering a symbiotic relationship. Though I don't yet have a heart, nor know what one is, hearing your yes makes my nucleoid region beat twice as fast. When stuck in traffic, I like to picture a world that was never so rage-quick or life-flash, where continents cracked but never reconnected and everyone speaks a different language, yet somehow you and I still make sense can translate meaning through song and skin, transcend land and life stage divides, and fly ourselves to a honeyed moon, laughing all the way up. Blinking at the microwave timer, reheating yesterday's lunch or leftover ambitions, I picture a world that's all tech, bright and sheen. One in the far-off future where you and I upgraded our relationship to a matrimonial level, where we felt comfortable asking each other for support instead of trying to troubleshoot on our own. Error, error, System crash, try, I love you, becomes claustrophobic. Your partner is not responding. A world where a love became a prism of light instead of a black mirror. But most nights, I picture a world that looks exactly like this one, except it fits inside an airport. One where I'm perpetually stuck in standby, eyes scanning the central display for some sign of someone who needs me. You, baggage tucked away neatly, 
are sure-footed toward the terminal outbound for whoever you are going to be. And somewhere, between the traveled far and the travelators, you and I unintentionally brush shoulders, graze fingertips, eyes meet. In that moment, our shared glance spills experience. Have a dialogue that could last decades, can feel everything from every world all at once, heart building and breaking a thousand times over until our sight breaks and we're snapped back into motion. Every time I dream of one of these realities, I wish I could stay in one of them, any of them, just a little longer. Because even in the ones where you and I are not a we, at least I get to see you again. Thank you, Christian. Well done. It's the night of the Yop debuters. Uh, is Marina here? Marina Goikoichea? No. Matthew Rowe? All right. The wait list is looking better, Arthur. Um, our next reader, we met her a long time ago, and then she disappeared, and she's back tonight with a great poem. I'm sure give it up for Molly Watson. for a while, so I'm a little rusty. Um, but this is an explanation you'll never receive. I don't trust you. The words slipped from my lips like the tequila from the bottle, and the regret still burns in my throat. What I wish I could take back aren't the words but the fact that I will never be able to give you the explanation the look on your face deserves. It's there, all right. But it's wrapped up in the feelings I will never put into words and the words I will never say to you. So we pretend it never happened and every time we nearly do begin to graze the subject, you hand me a Band-Aid and we pretend. I'm not going anywhere. And I'm sat here spewing poetry as if there's something to mend. As if I could ever find the right words to make you understand that I am afraid. Sometimes I feel like we've only just begun, but other times your near apathy makes me want to run. Just to see if you care enough to chase. I mean, really, how dumb is that? I'm teetering on the edge of ruining a good thing, maybe the best thing, and every voice in my head is screaming at me to just take a fucking step back. Every voice, except for one. The one that comes with the fear curled up, crushing my chest. With that feeling in my gut that's pulling me over the edge because you never really know, and it's better to be safe than sorry. Because this might be your fault. I've always been one to look for a reason to run, and baby, you've given me pages. Because this might be my fault. You're doing your best to love me in the only way you say you can. Because this, this might be his fault. Because I gave him everything, and he took it and told me I was unlovable 
And it wasn't the way he said it, but the way he made me believe it that I still hold on to. Yeah. Thank you, Molly. It's good to have you back. Okay, our next reader is <laughs> that's the South Australia. <laughs> South Australia. <laughs> I was about to say the South Africa Australia joke has become really tired, and then I said South Australia. Our next reader is from South Australia. Give it up for Nikki Ritchie. start, can we please give it up for my sister, who's also from South Australia. Um, no, we're all from South Africa. She's visiting. She's got only a few nights in New York, and she chose to spend one of them with us. So thank you. Um, and I am going to swim upstream today and not be cynical, and I'm going to read you guys a love poem that I wrote in Lee Science Workshop. So this is called Relearn. Do you remember, I say on a Monday morning, my arm across your chest, the sun in our bed, when we lived in Joburg, and I tell you on a Sunday night that I loved you more than I had on the Friday. As though our love has a gestation period, swelling from pea to kiwi fruit, growing heavier, filling our cavities. There are Tuesdays when I remember that space in my bones, the winters of Johannesburg in my marrow, the wet wind post-thunderstorm blown through my blood, like a breeze on the back of my arms, like my lips on the lines where your shoulder meets your neck. Sometimes I think we forget the space between first and now. We neglect the depth it takes to relearn one another again and again as we learn ourselves. I fall asleep in the sunshine on your back, sticky with that sunscreen that smells of banana that we bought as a joke but found effective. And it sounds as if your body contains the universe, holds the passing of time, the formation of continents, the running of rivers, your heart an axis for the world to spin on, our past and future running presently through your veins and thumping in my ear as I try to sit still and remind myself the test results are late because it's summer and everything is slower, except for your heartbeat under my palm. You crane your neck, let the air come rushing in, and the outside finds a voice again. There is a glint of light that shines golden through your hair, in your green-blue eyes, which are sometimes blue-green, in all our time, across all our places, we have this meeting space where we return in the smallest of gestures and the grandest of jokes. Sometimes, the sunscreen in your beard tastes like my arm draped down your back. Sometimes, my lips on your neck feel like the smell of your cologne. Your stubble prickles like your tongue in my mouth. Year falls behind year, 
and we know all so well that we relearn, relove, re-understand the other's sweat and sound, self and smile. Thank you. Was that a poem about marital bliss? How dare you? <laughs> that was hot. <laughs> wow. Uh, did you read that for him? Yes. <laughs> you say that like it's obvious. Not not everyone would. I might hide that and save it for when for when my wife is mad at me. <laughs> He might have been. Oh, right. That's true. Did it work? Oh, I didn't even see you there. <laughs> Talking about you like you're not here. Did you enjoy that poem? Is that going to get your vote? Probably, yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. You're sitting right there. Wow. I'm in, I'm in top form tonight. What can I say? Uh, thank you, Nikki. Our next reader is a uh, regular badass. Give it up for Bill Livingston. Keep it going for Jason. So glad my beautiful Steelers could break your Browns losing streak with a 21 to 21 tie. <laughs> Poets who like sports. That should be a reading in itself. It's called Jury Duty, Downtown Brooklyn. With apologies to Arthur. <laughs> Waiting in the security line, winding python of citizenry. Every walk of life represented its worse than the post office. Civic duty is my parcel to deliver. The threat of incarceration, my motivation. The obligatory metal detector serving as the gate to hell while civil service demons scan the x-rays of our backpacks and purses filled with books we'll never get to, literature usurped by stupid smartphones. A bald gent wearing red suspenders talks to himself incessantly and laughs like the lunatic in that Pink Floyd song. Lucky bastard will be dismissed before he even sees a courtroom. The girl in front of me is covered in glitter from last night's party. Her shoulder blades could cut diamonds. You could smell her hangover from Cobble Hill and... <laughs> And why do so many lawyers in ill-fitting suits and size 13 wingtips think that long white hair is a good look? <laughs> ah, America, where you should be forced to vote after an IQ test and exercise true justice, not come here and play this game of honor and duty for 40 bucks a day. To bear the burden of unqualified responsibility, to manifest our deepest fears with graphic evidence, to experience the agony of others while avoiding eye contact, to realize an inconvenience can change a life for better or worse, and to come back eight years later and do it all over again. Thank you. stuff bill that's like a that's like a companion piece to your uh, post office poem the which is in the broken poets anthology if you guys don't know that poem you read that at the up you should check it out in the what's that it's called it 
Yeah. What is that poem called? Atlantic Avenue? Or Atlantic Terminal. Yeah. It's a fantastic poem. So you got the post office, you got the... Wait, what was that poem just about? Oh, Joy Duty. Right. Uh, what other poems you got about? Terrible, bureaucratic stuff. I, I went to that place to wait for Joy Duty. Luckily, they didn't call me, you know. Yeah. I like to think it was because I was too smart that they didn't call me to be. I tell myself that when I go to sleep. Have you guys watched that uh, The Staircase, that Netflix? Yeah? Some of you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about, Liz. If you haven't watched that, you got to watch that tonight and then plan not to sleep because the shit will fuck you up. <laughs> wow. What happened in this case? Oh, my God. Also, Ozark. Jesus Christ. That's like, uh, as someone that lived in Missouri for four years, this is a seriously triggering television show for myself. I mean, like, that's exactly what people are like in Missouri. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, sorry, sorry if you're from Missouri. I mean, I'm sure you're not like that. Our next reader is the Opera of the Year from 2017. Give it up for Emily Blair. So this poem is one that's been kicking around for like 10 years. I revised my poems a lot and I revised this one so much that there was just like one line left that was from the original poem. And then I workshopped it and I got a lot of good advice. One thing everyone was adamant about was like, take out that line. (laughs) It's the Tin tin Woodman approach. Um, So this is uh, called The Lake and it's after a poem by the romantic poet Alphonse de Lamartine where he goes to a lake and he's mourning someone. Oh, lake, I have a few questions about time and nature and the tactless way your waves keep showing up day after day, year after year. I want to understand how now and then can be so different for me, but not for you, still flinging the same old spray. You and eternity are in cahoots along with the caves and the pine trees. Your center is cold with strange creatures, all flowing tendrils and translucent eyes. I'm not sailing out there again. I walk along your weed-filled shore, trying to make sense of your resounding nonsense from the margins. I try to cup you in my hands, but the only thing I see is my own red-eyed reflection. What's that you say? Lake, you repeat yourself. (laughs) You overflow with tired phrases, dead and gone, Gone forever. Why am I even talking to you? You, a body of water. What insights could you possibly deliver? What do you know besides endless evaporation, condensation, and rain? I don't care how complex your ecosystem is. Keep telling me death is part of life, and I'll keep shouting back, yeah, the worst part. (laughs) Lake, do you find me over the top? Think I should dial it down? Fuck you, Lake. I'm not going anywhere. Cease that passive-aggressive sighing of wind through your reeds. Stop urging me to move on. Explain how a person can disappear from the world and not return. Show me how to find a trace of him that doesn't eventually dissolve, to keep one small memory at least from sinking to the sunless depths. Give me some answers I can use, or I will sit here skipping the sharpest stones that I can find Mm. until the end of time.
fuck you, Lake. We workshopped that in the Hamptons, didn't we? That was in my workshop. I remember that poem well. What did you change? I told you not to change anything, didn't I? Uh, yeah. You didn't, you didn't listen to anyone else, did you? <laughs> it's just practical, you know. Don't listen to anyone else. Okay, we're on to the wait list. Arthur's getting excited. The Cleveland Indians just tied up their game. How about that? It was 4 nothing. now it's 4-4. Four, four. Maybe this game will end in a tie, too, Bill. <laughs> what the fuck is up with ties in football, by the way? This isn't, this isn't fucking European football. That must drive people mad, too, like soccer fans. I could not deal with that shit, like, happening all the time. God. Anyway, uh, I got excited there. Sorry. Our first reader off the wait list, I think, is a Yop debuter. Give it up for Evan Garrett. I'm good, thank you. Um, just some context. I am like, I'm not a poet, or more specifically, like I have not been a poet. And then January 1st, I like took a photo on my phone, and then I was like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm just gonna write 252 poems, one poem every day for a year. It's been like a journey, um, and I just like really respect poets. <laughs> Um, each poem is about a person, and this one doesn't have a title, but it's, um, it's for Elliot. Why did Chicago always taste like ash? Why was my tongue always burnt on boys, always smoking them up and trying to see how many ghosts I could swallow? It was always smoke and never a honey-glazed ham, a meal for seven shared on a table I thought we could own together. How did Chicago always do that? It ripped me from you in pursuit of other splendors, other pleasures, other than that sweet bridge, six corners where one of them was a river. And I felt Pequod's pizza, as deep as you and as cheesy as me, as I can be. We should get a bottle of wine, I said. And you wrote back the intro to the poem you'd eventually write for life. From that moment, I knew it was all game nights with you. Cheese dips on a table for seven, and you being a giant merino wool sweater, always for me to put my arm around. And how long my arm has had to grow to hit San Francisco. But isn't it always been about growth? You and me and the calves we can make thicker by hiking further. I remember the boulder we knelt on and the boys doing figure eights like they were part of a marriage proposal. Why did Chicago always do this? And how has New York been any different? A conveyor belt that conveys nothing but disappointment. A line that goes out the door for a double pounder. You are a date where I eat fried chicken glazed in sriracha and drink the worrisome flirt of the glint in your eye. Why can't Chicago taste like that nectar? If only to say thank you, this poem is. If only to say read on, for I know that you have, you always do, this poem is. You read me, and now I proofread the chapters to make sure the grammar is good as I go, and how you changed the sentence structure of my life, and how you don't taste like ash, how you haven't for a while, how you haven't slid down my throat like gin, how you haven't pounced on my blood, and how you have been so strong even while reciting that haiku. Why do you love the taste of ash? Does it have something to do with you? 
Thank you, Evan. I really like that. Um, what was the thing? You, you took a picture of your phone and then decided to start writing all these poems? But like, what was the, f what was the photo that you took a? <laughs> okay, I was like, I wish that would happen to me. Just take a picture, two hundred poems come out. It's incredible. That was pretty good. It wasn't just like a throwaway poem. Uh, okay, our next reader, I think, is another Yop debut. You're probably getting sick of me saying that, but please don't be sick of him. Give it up for Evan W. Saunders. Hi friends, uh, here is a uh, very hip sonnet about uh, spying on your neighbors, but like not in a creepy way. <laughs> At night, do you see those tiny silhouettes living in their shoe boxes full of light? Uh, they float like the satellites overhead, a galaxy that can't see its own eyes. They settle down for the night, so peaceful making me think that heaven has four walls and three roommates, but the rent is cheap. So it's fine that you can't see the stars at all. When the world ends and the sky cracks open, we will see stars, real stars, and they'll taste like liquor and sunlight, and there'll be no more squinting through the holes like kids playing spies. For now, we're up here, trapped in the orbit on the ellipsis with no way forward. Thank you. All right, that was pretty good too. I like that. Heaven has four walls and three roommates. Where'd he go? Oh, there he is. I'm back. I can't see you. Heaven has four walls and three roommates. Okay, uh, our next reader is former student of mine. Is it just S now or Sohong? Where are you? Did you leave Sohong? Sohong Gandhi, calling Sohong. I guess he, I guess he he didn't have any faith in the wait list. Anyway, he just put S. Gandhi, which is super distinguished. <laughs> well, I guess there's time for Arthur Russell then. Give it up for Arthur Russell. Hey! Oh. Okay, I'll put away the chairs later. All right. This is called Beat Up Guy. I, I thought I might have read it here once before, but it's different now. <laughs> so, and then I thought, no, I didn't read it there. I, I would remember if I read this there. It's called Beat Up Guy. I've been punched in the face only that one time by a bigger, pimply Italian boy from my junior high outside the pizza place on Nostrand Avenue and Avenue I, a right cross to my left cheek and jaw on a cold day, in coats, with his runty friend watching, and I stumbled back, not down, and walked away, and the runty friend mocked me as far as the corner. What if I'd been punched in the face three times a day by the same pimply kid with the jangly ID bracelet and a double-breasted gray wool coat who'd punched me outside the pizza place. What, what if he'd been assigned to follow me around my whole life 
punching me in the face whenever I came outside, with his runty friend telling him what a good shot he'd gotten in and calling me a punk. What if he put, punch, pushed me down the stairs from the elevated subway at Smith and 9th Street? The same guy, bigger than I am by two, three inches with curly black hair, and I bruised my head on the point of a stair and fractured my leg bone on a banister. What if he punched me in the face and pushed me down the stairs and his runty friends stood at the top mocking me in a heap at the bottom and then they left and I had to get up, find my stuff and go on to my house or wherever I was going? What if beat up guy and his friend got old at the same rate I did so now they were 61 and the details of his life would come to me in their idle comments to one another while standing over my fallen body, such as, I gotta see the fucking doc about my fucking meds. <laughs> what if after a lifetime of being punched in the face and thrown downstairs, constantly bruised, with several broken ribs and my jaw no longer lined up right, my health went downhill and I could no longer work. And my mother would invite me over and what if we learned not to talk about it? But sometimes she choked up and looked at me and touched my cheek. And what if she got sick and beat up guy showed up at the hospital hallway outside her room and punched me in the face? And I had to pick up my little paper bag of biscotti and go inside and say, hi, mom. The emotion I carry around this city around my family is so light. My burdens are so light. All my life, I've had freedom, ease, and freedom. There's nothing in my life that hurts that way. Everything bad that happened to me happened by the time I was 14. Thank you. Thank you, Arthur. Well done. <laughs> Glad we got to. I don't know what would have happened if we didn't. Uh, that's all the time we have for today. It is 9.35. Uh, if you didn't get to read, I do apologize. I would recommend you sign up now on your phone, which you can. It will definitely be already full by the end of the week. You can count on that. So to review before we vote, uh, that was Arthur Russell. <laughs> Should have known that. Before that was Evan Saunders, Evan W. Saunders. Before that was another Evan, don't mix them up, Evan Garrett. Before that was Emily Blair, Bill Livingston with the jury duty poem, Nikki Ritchie with the hot marital bliss poem, Molly Watson with uh, another dark love poem. I, I can't really recap everyone's content, but we'll stop there. Before that was Christian Purfus, uh, Keith Woodrow, Creighton Blinn, Sarah Lynn Rogers, Laura Murphy, Bella Pori, Harvey Sauce, Bonnie Belay, Maha Abdelazim, Dora Bralo, Amy Palin, Dan Varley, and Jose A. Lopez. So the number to vote, 718-374-1953. Y'all got that? 718-374-1953. Please vote once. Don't tell your friends who are not here to vote. That's super shitty. Only if you are physically present are you allowed to vote. Just give me the poet's name. That usually does it. Uh, we will be back here in October.
the second Monday of the month. Does anyone know what day that is? No. It's the 8th, October 8th. We'll be back here. And I'm totally blanking on who's leading the October Yop workshop, but uh, you will find out soon enough on our website. So uh, if you go, I mean, you're not going to find out like right now. If you, you'll see, still see Gregory's name, but uh, give it a couple days. All right. Uh, we'll be back here on October 8th. Come to the Broken Book Festival on Sunday. Buy some shirts. Come to our reading. Where What's that? Oh, you can, on iTunes or you can go to SoundCloud. Either one of those. Yeah. We post it on SoundCloud, and then our RSS feed goes to uh, iTunes. Either one. If you just Google Broken Poets, if you Google Yopcast, you'll find it. Yeah, or if you Google the Broken Poets Yop, you'll find it. If you just Google Yop, you're going to find a lot of shit. So I would, I would put Brooklyn Poets in front of it. Or just remember Yopcast. All right, so go to iTunes. Give that shit five stars. It would be beautiful I saw if I saw like ten reviews. Don't give it less than five stars. If you want to do that, just don't don't do it. Just just save it. Just just look just listen to something else. <laughs> All right, thank you for listening. You've been great. Goodbye. September 10th, 2018. Thanks to Prof. Gregory Crosby for leading a wonderful workshop on repetition and variation, which uh, feeds into the workshop that incidentally just began on September 23rd. Uh, Gregory is a wonderful teacher for us, and uh, if you want to take a workshop with him, you can definitely do so in the future. Congrats to the op debuter. Laura Murphy for winning Poem of the Month, incredibly, in her very first performance on our open mic, or not on our mic, but during our open mic, for her poem La Flaneuse. Uh, Laura has earned free admission to a future yop and a spot in our Poem of the Year Smackdown, which is impending very soon. All year I've been saying this, it felt very far away, but now it is coming very soon, just a couple of months, on December 10th. December Yop, Laura will be competing against the 11 other winners of Poem of the Year, or sorry, Poem of the Month, over the past year for Poem of the Year honors. Our next Yop comes your way on Monday, October 8th, led by the estimable J.P. Howard, who will be leading a workshop that will very likely be involving the uh, poetry and memoir theme that she is focusing on for her five-week workshop, which begins on October 11th, so definitely come out for that. As I say every time, and as I say during the open mic itself, you need to sign up very soon uh, for the YOP open mic. It fills up very quickly, usually within a week of the last YOP, so by now, by the time you're hearing this recording, it's probably already full, but uh, if you can't get on the reserve list, you can always Show up early for the op workshop and get on the uh, open list or the five open spots that we reserve at the beginning of the open mic for those people that can't sign up in advance. And we also have the wait list. We usually get to at least a couple of poets uh, every month on the wait list. So there is no despair if you can't sign up in advance, but it's definitely better to sign up in advance if you can. Okay, if you've liked 
what you've heard, please, we do encourage you to subscribe to us and rate us on iTunes after chastising our audience for the past few months. We have wonderfully gotten uh, many ratings over the last couple of months, so I appreciate you if you did happen to rate us. Thank you very much for doing that. Uh, I mean that sincerely, so if you haven't done that, please, by all means, give us five stars. We would love you. Uh, unto the end of this earth. I don't even know what the fuck that means, but uh, I think you know what I mean. Anyway, thank you for listening. We will uh, see you next time. Or I guess you will hear me next time. I'm just going to stop talking. Goodbye. <laughs>